the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this sin, not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Hello, everyone. This is. Um Domin and I are cozy in the in the couch in our living room with a digital fireplace. Um, and a cup of tea. And a cup of tea, ready to talk about storytelling once again. Mm -hmm. And uh, this uh, episode is about prophecy and destiny. Yes. I think uh, prophecy and destiny are, you know, very typical elements of um, fantasy storytelling. Right. I remember um, we've talked about this uh, once before, uh, going to a, this fantasy convention in the Netherlands, where uh, this established fantasy author told us, rule number one, uh, your own uh, script for your uh, tabletop roleplay adventure is not a good fantasy story. And uh, I remember him saying, rule number two, never use a prophecy in fantasy because it's been so overused. Well, I think um, in, I think the, that guy uh, just had a, a sort of idea of, of fantasy storytelling that is, uh, well, that is not my idea of fantasy storytelling in any case. I think um, he sort of wanted to react against the tradition of fantasy, right. which comes via Tolkien from uh, the ancient myths and um, and uh, you know myths and fairy tales and 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 I think that the ancient stories mm -hmm. are actually the heart and soul of, of what fantasy is that modern day fantasy novels are sort of the the continuation of that in a way exactly and, and so you shouldn't you certainly shouldn't knock that. What I love about fantasy is that uh, within the, the genre there are so many subgenres and, and different ways of, mm -hmm. of writing fantasy. Sure. I mean, if, if you want to do something completely different and weird and out there, you can do that. Just try it. But the way I see it, those traditions are, are, are really at the heart and soul of, of, of the genre. So anyway... Um, when we were preparing for this episode, uh, we were we had a little um, get together, and um, we actually came up with the idea that there are three kinds of prophecies that you see returning mm -hmm. again and again in uh, books, movies, games, uh, etc. Right. There might be more, but these were uh, for us were the the ones that that jumped out. Um, and so um, the first one would be. The sort of world prophecy. Typically, it's a prophecy about the state of the world that's about to change. Something's going to happen um, that will affect everyone in the entire um, setting, so to speak. A very, a very good example of that uh, would be the prophecy of the Great Conjunction in the movie The Dark Crystal. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, if you've, uh, I love that movie. Yeah, m me too. It's it's one of those uh, I grew up with. Um, but uh, for the listeners who who don't know the Dark Crystal, it's um, it's a nineteen eighty two fantasy movie, and it's um, it's about as fantasy as you can get. Um, it's a world with where there are no humans. All the characters are creatures, 
and it's it's a very magical very mysterious setting it's i i think it's really very 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 cool and uh, in the prof in the movie there's a prophecy that says um the three suns because there are three suns in the in the sky will come together the, that's the great conjunction and when that happens everything will change the whole world will change a, a cataclysmic event uh, will occur. What are those funny marks? Oh, this is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. My master told me. Oh. When single shines the triple sun, what was sundered and undone shall be whole, the two made one, by gelfling hand or else by none. By gelfling hand? Do you know what that means, Kira? Wait. This is a piece of the dark crystal. Then that's what my master meant. Yes. I have to put you it... You have to heal the... the dark crystal. Prophecy! Jen! Stay! 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 No! Stay! Stay, M friend! Stay, M friend! Prophecy! Prophecy caused all this trouble! That prophecy? Yes! And that so that's a typical example of sort of the world of a world prophecy. So actually, a prophecy that uh, says something about the entire world that has effect on the entire world. Yeah, yeah, uh, or, or or all people yeah. and, or an entire country. Um, kind of like the prophecy in Witch Hunter, then. Uh, yeah, I guess in a way, um, in in uh, in our own story uh, of Witch Hunter, the first one, a prophecy does play a large part in it and it indeed it says something about how the great evil will be defeated and there are countless other examples of of, of that in fantasy it's i think it's sort of the main thing you you think of when you think of prophecies and um yeah and so what's the second type of prophecy Elin? uh well we came up with um the prophecy of the chosen one a very uh very typical one and um, the chosen one in this uh, regard could be the protagonist. I think this is most common. Yeah. Uh, or it could be the antagonist as well. A sort of evil chosen one. Yeah. Yeah. So A villain type. I think a good example of that, um, if you speak about the one, is the Matrix. Obviously, yeah. They, they use the words the one in, uh, <laughs> in the movie. Exactly. And, uh, well, obviously, it's Neo. Uh, I think um, his name is an anagram for that. One, Neo, one. Um, so it's, uh, it's very obvious there. I think most people uh, know The Matrix. It's a movie with uh, Keanu Reeves in the, as a protagonist. Um, and he's kind of the, the one who gets to know the truth about the world. So... Um, and because of that, he's also capable of changing it, right? Yeah, right. Uh, another uh, example would be Star Wars, right? Yeah, that's actually even more obvious because they actually use the term the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is the chosen one. Um, and that's about, uh, well, it's about Anakin, although some fans have theorized that it's really about Luke. Um, yeah. Let's just assume that it's Anakin. Um, in Star Wars, there, there's an interesting thing that they did with um, with the prophecy of the Chosen One, which is that 
they say that he's going to bring balance to the force. Mm -hmm. But what does that actually mean? Uh, because what happens is he turns into Darth Vader. Um, <gasps> spoiler, spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Anakin turns into uh, Darth but Vader. Everyone who watched The Simpsons already <laughs> knew that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Luke, I'm your <laughs> uh, Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so um, Anakin turns into into Darth Vader, and he becomes the the big evil. So is that how he balances the force by because there was too much light yeah, side and he brings more dark side? Providing is, the dark side. Is that what it means? The force always needs both sides in Star Wars. So I wonder about that because uh, Master Yoda does say in the movie a prophecy that misread may have been. <laughs> so um, so it yeah. might not actually be all as as positive as it seems. Right. Anakin did not take to his new assignment with much enthusiasm. It's very dangerous putting them together. I don't think the boy can handle it. I don't trust him. With all due respect, Master, is he not the Chosen One? Is he not to destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force? So the prophecy says. A prophecy that Miss Reg could have been. And I love that, the fact that they leave it open in a way. It's kind of ambiguous, yeah. yeah because uh, like all prophecies and, and, and predictions uh, that you hear, it's, it's usually a bit vague. It's yeah. kind of an, an, a characteristic of a, of a prophecy could be that it's, it's a bit vague, that you can interpret it in, in different ways, right? Yeah, yeah. The, I've never seen, uh, I've never read a book or anything where there was a prophecy that says, you know, on August 25th at nine o'clock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moon will, yeah. will fall over a banana peel. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Um, prophecies are always much more mysterious and yeah. Okay, any other examples of the chosen one? Uh, yeah, um, Harry Potter, uh, I guess, um, is a, also a big example of uh, a chosen one, the one who will eventually vanquish the great evil in the fantasy world. See that girl over there? Apparently she's trying to smother you a love potion. Really? Hey, she's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. Hey, sorry, um, kidding. Um, yeah. Dune would be an example as well. Dune is a very interesting example of a, of a of a chosen one prophecy. Yeah. Um, Paul Atreides um, as Muad'Dib, a desolate, dry planet with vast deserts. Hidden away within the rocks of these deserts are a people known as the Fremen, who have long held a prophecy that a man would come, a messiah who would lead them to true freedom. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. An example of, uh, of an antagonist in a fantasy story that, that is prophesied uh, could be, well, a fantasy story or, or a legend in this case, is moderate in uh, the Arthur legend. Uh, because he's kind of destined to become the the antagonist who kills Arthur in the end. Yes, he is. He is, and and that also brings with it uh, a whole 
uh, a, s a sense of anticipation. Right, yeah. Okay, there's a, a third kind of prophecy that we distinguished. Uh, yes, and that would be the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's something, it's a term that people tend to use in real life as well. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, when you, you know, when you complain about something for a long time, you often cause it to happen by by complaining about it, for example. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that people do. It happens in real life. And it's um, and and I think therefore it's it's been with us since the ancient days. Um, it was a big thing in Greek tragedies. The story of Oedipus Rex is probably the most mm -hmm. obvious example. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a little boy who was predestined to murder his father and and uh, marry his mother, and um, because the parents knew about this terrible prophecy they decided to send him away when he was born, hoping that, you know, they would never meet him again. And of course, it's because they sent him away and he never, he never knew his parents. Therefore, you know, he meets them later in life and he actually kills his father and marries his mother. A lot of uh, modern fantasy stories are paying a tribute to, to Oedipus, I think. And um, if you, if you want to, very big share of prophecy and destiny. I think uh, Merlin would be a great series to watch. The um, series, uh, the series yeah, yeah, the the BBC version. Yeah, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy in there as well, which is very interesting. Uh, for example, um, when Merlin has a vision about Morgana killing Uther Pendragon with a dagger, and he he notices Arthur will uh, will be uh, giving her a dagger on her birthday and he says oh i wouldn't i wouldn't give her that girls uh, love fancier things you shouldn't give her this dagger and then right, because he wants to avoid yeah uh, yeah he wants to avoid him buying a dagger for her but then he um he goes off he runs off and comes back with uh, a, a much fancier dagger which is actually the exact one he saw in his vision so yeah, I, I, I love that episode. It was, uh, it was a very nice way to sort of show the, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Because he tried to stop it, it happened. Yeah, and I think it also uh, the fact that he knows Morgana is going to turn evil uh, is a, plays a very big part in the story as well. Because, because he, he knows she will become evil, he kind of... Um, treats her in a way that you might argue turns her evil because he doesn't trust her and and she really wants his friendship and actually uh, the same thing happens in Smallville with uh, Lex Luthor so um, I think in that way because you know what's going to happen you, you actually accidentally have influence on what happens yeah yeah Again, in Star Wars, um, a similar thing occurs when, um, you know, Anakin um, wants to avoid uh, the death of Padme. And um, because of that, he turns to the dark side. And it's because he turns to the dark side that he breaks her heart and she dies of grief. So that's, that's very Greek, isn't it? Tragic, yeah. Yeah. So we have these three types of uh, prophecies. 
they can be very interesting, but a lot of people feel that they are sort of cliches and, 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 you know, tropes that you should avoid. I don't think so. I think they are actually, you know, a staple of the genre. They, mm-hmm. are, they are a part of storytelling, of the types of stories that have been with us for, you know, for ages and ages. They're in our blood. They're in our DNA. It's sort of right. a core human thing. It's... Um, yeah, it's... It, it's uh, I don't think you should avoid them, yeah, per se. I, calling I, that a cliche is a bit... It's a bit superficial, I think. Yeah, I, I also think that there are uh, numerous ways to to be original using prophecies, to make them different. Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, that's that's very true. Because I, I do agree that if you can do something interesting, something unexpected with this age-old concept, mm-hmm. you can do something that's genuinely exciting, interesting, uh, exactly. good storytelling. And so, um, yeah, there are various ways you can do that. Uh, for example, one of the things you could um, make a prophecy different is by uh, showing that it has an, an up and down side. Right. So the, the prophecy is not all good or all bad. Right. So that makes it difficult to decide. Do we want to yeah. to, ha- to, to, to help this prophecy or, or do we want to, to stop it? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's true. Uh, a, a great example of that would be in The Wheel of Time, where... Um, the the dragon reborn, uh, who is kind of the chosen one, <laughs> is said to to be the one who will defeat the dark one, the, the mm-hmm. evil, but um, but he will also go insane and and destroy the world. Wow, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the prophecy. So, what what do you want to do with that? <laughs> do you want to help him defeat the evil? He's the only one who can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But at the same time. Um, you don't want him to go evil, uh, to go crazy afterwards. So, um, and that, that keeps tension. Uh, of course, yeah, there are 14 books that are thousands and thousands of pages. So it, it's important to have something that keeps you in tension right. for, all, for all that it's a, time. It's an interesting way yeah. to, to start a story. It is, it is. Especially since um, in, in the first book in particular, you start the story... And you you find out who who the chosen one is, and it's the main character, Rand, and he's at that point you know this uh, innocent farmer boy like Luke Skywalker, and um, you can't imagine him becoming that. So, but uh, yeah, there are other ways to make uh, prophecies different, right? Yeah. Um, again, a typical part of prophecies is that you can phrase them in a sort of very mystical and mysterious and not utterly clear way. And therefore, they can come true in, in, in an unexpected form. They can come true in a way that's different from what people had imagined that it would be. Yeah, again, like in Witch Hunter, right? Which um, we will not spoil for the listeners. No, no, we will not spoil it. it but um, if you listen to Witch Hunter, the audio drama, which you can find on our YouTube channel and on our podcast, uh, on, you know, you can just scroll down all the way to the very first episode of the Audio Epics podcast, and it is the beginning of Witch Hunter. And um, then you will you will hear that um, it begins with three prophecies, actually. Yeah. All of which point to um, sort of cataclysmic event or events, and um, yeah, and you, of unfortunate <laughs> events. and you see how that sort of <laughs> unfolds in the story. I'm not going to say more about it, 
Okay, um, what, what else can you do to make the element of a prophecy yeah, as um, interesting, maybe, make it stand out? Maybe not drop a big prophecy on your audience, Yeah. but to release small hints or elements of prophecy into your storytelling. Right. So you mean not making the whole story about a prophecy. Exactly. Yeah. But sort of sprinkling elements of prophecy. Yeah, like uh, they do in The Lord of the Rings, for example. Oh, yes, yes. Lord of the Rings does that very much. Um, there is there is no big prophecy. of. Th there's no prophecy that says the Hobbit will destroy the ring or whatever. Uh, there's nothing like that. <laughs> uh, that would be stupid. That but you know what spoiler. I mean? <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing like that in, in uh, the Lord of the Rings. But what there is, is, for example, halfway through the Fellowship of the Ring, um, there's a Council of Elrond, and Boromir mentions that he had a dream. And uh, in that dream, he heard a voice, and the voice was singing, and it said, uh, Seek for the sword that was broken in Imladris, it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall linger, and the halfling forth shall stand. <laughs> wow, it sounds like you've read that book more than once. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Is it that obvious? <laughs> it's kind of obvious, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the century. So, yeah, but okay. as uh, as I recite that, I notice that, you know, there's all these veiled elements that are in there that yeah. that are very important in the story. Exactly. Um, but it's 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 not like it sort of lays out the plot for you or it, it spoils the ending or, or hints that... All it really says is that... The sword of um, the sword that was broken, the Anduril, is going to be very important, and that a halfling is going to be very important. Right. Um, yeah. And that's all. That's all. I remember as well uh, Gandalf uh, saying things like, "My heart tells me." Oh yes, yes, destiny. He, uh, definitely, he says, um, "My heart tells me Gollum still has some part to play." Right. Yeah. For the good or ill. Destiny of Gollum is a very yes. interesting element in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, yeah. Um, and in, in fact, he adds to that um, when he says, I, I, my heart tells me Gollum will still have a part to play. He, he, he adds to that because the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. And exactly. what, what he's referring to is an event that occurred in The Hobbits, yeah. you know, decades before uh, when Bilbo had the chance... To kill Gollum, to escape from the from the the tunnels in the misty mountains, mm -hmm. but he didn't because he felt pity for Gollum. Exactly. He didn't kill Gollum, and because he doesn't kill Gollum, mm -hmm. all the way at the end of the of the quest for the ring, uh, the, I mean, to destroy the ring, yeah. when Frodo is incapable of destroying the ring, it's because of the appearance of Gollum, and Gollum stealing the ring that that therefore the ring gets destroyed. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, uh, but I think that's that's uh, that's really a, a, a masterstroke by indeed, Professor and Tolkien. the fact that uh, Frodo comes uh, to stand for the same decision as well as Bilbo. Yeah. Uh, that's and and I think uh, prophecy is also something that's um, that's a very natural element uh, embedded in the culture of the elves as well. In uh, the world of Tolkien. Yes, yes. Uh, in Lothlorien and... Um, 
like when when uh, Arwen has prophetic dreams. Yes, very interesting. Uh, in the Silmarillion, there is actually the the entire story of of the 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 Silmarils of the, of the first age is kind of driven by a prophecy. Well, it's. It's it's kind of an oath. The elves speak an oath um, that they will never allow anyone to... Uh, that they will always keep seeking for, for uh, the Silmarils, for those mm-hmm. uh, sacred stones of theirs. And, you know, they, they sort of bring this doom upon them. They kind of choose for it. And all kinds of tragic things happen because they they made that oath it that terrible bloody oath that they will sort of you know no matter what happens and that's another kind of prophecy isn't it it's a kind of things things like a curse for example yeah. is it's also something like that um and but i would say that that that's part of the the self-fulfilling prophecy yeah like um in the movie maleficent where maleficent speaks a curse over um little baby aurora, aurora yeah uh, she she curses her and she says that she will um fall into a sleep from which she will never wake up uh unless by true love's kiss but she doesn't believe that true love exists so so actually it's a it's a curse that yeah. there, she cannot escape from yeah. she thinks but then later on she regrets it and she wants to, to to undo the curse, but she can't. And that's so, in a way, uh, that's a kind of a, a prophecy that she brought upon herself, in a way. Yeah. Another interesting thing is what they did, of course, what Frank Herbert did in the in the book Dune, where the Fremen, the people on the desert planet, have um, a bunch of prophetic criteria for their their savior, their their messiah, their uh, their muadib, and um, and you see how all of these elements are present in the character of Paul Atreides, and how the characters around him sort of um, start seeing that they see oh he he does that, and the prophecies always said that the yeah. the messiah would be someone who does that or or uh, who can do that and. And so that's how they recognize him. And of course, uh, Dune is a very iconic example of fantasy. And a lot of fantasy stories after that um, kind of did a similar thing with uh, the the Chosen One. uh, Having all these kind of criteria that had to be checked by a board or a council of wise uh, people. Yeah, especially in YA, there's a lot of... uh, There are always councils and... and, uh, (laughs) Yeah... Yeah, and teenagers uh, having to perform tests yeah. <laughs> and doing <laughs> this this uh, ritual of uh, coming yeah. of age ritual. <laughs> yeah, where they have to choose uh, some category that they have to belong to. Or a job or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole other thing, of course. But um, yeah, that's true. That's true. In Dune, prophecy is used to sort of un- unpack the role, the sort of the the nature of who who Paul Atreides is. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see in the beginning of the story that uh, the, the Bene Gesserit are really testing him. Yeah, what's interesting about that whole thing is that um, the, the, the Bene Gesserit, the way I remember it, they, um, they wanted to create this Kwisatz Hadrach, this sort of ultimate uh, leader guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm, I'm probably telling this very poorly, but uh, <laughs> but what's interesting about it is that when he actually becomes the the emperor of the universe, it all gets way out of hand, and it, he becomes much more powerful, and they they cannot control him, and it's all they underestimated yeah. sort of what they created, and that's interesting. <laughs> When, when the reality sort of exceeds the prophecy, that's what makes Dune so epic, in my, in my opinion, yeah. is there is this big mysterious prophecy, but then what happens is even more impressive than what was prophesied. Prophecy should be more accurate, so the characters could actually prepare for yeah. what's going to happen. He will be very powerful, but watch out that he doesn't become too powerful. So. <laughs> And then establish what is too powerful <laughs> and what is not powerful enough. Things like that. Um, an another element that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, prophecy is destiny, of course. Well, I, actually, I would say prophecy is a manifestation of, of destiny. Yeah, exactly. Um, if the prophecy comes true... Um, that shows that there is such a thing as destiny. Yeah, right. But there could be an element of destiny in a story without there actually being a prophecy, right? Definitely, of course. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. And what's interesting about, uh, about the element of destiny in a fantasy story or another story is uh, there are a number of things that make it so interesting. Uh, for example, um, the downsides of knowing the future. That's a very interesting theme. Um, that's, of course, something that you typically associate with science fiction more than with fantasy, yeah. I think. I'm not sure. Although I, I remember an episode of the Smurfs. Ah, <laughs> yes. That very, very interesting intellectual... Science fiction series. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where they actually um, they find a crystal and it foretells the future. And I remember uh, the issues... Uh, within the episode that uh, Smurfette is in danger and they can see in the crystal that she's going to be all right and she's going to escape and she's going to return to the village safely. So they just decide to wait until she returns. They don't do anything anymore. And that's when Papa Smurf decides this, this crystal is no good. We need to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And it, it sort of raises a very interesting question. If you already know that everything's going to be okay if you don't do anything, you won't actually do anything anymore. But is that so good? Isn't it better that you don't know what's going on and that you actually do something? Is, is, the, is the action of, of the characters, sort of the, the agency, um, isn't that more important than the outcome? That's, that's sort of... I think I'm, I'm amazed at the level of interesting philosophical dilemmas raised by an episode of the smurfs <laughs> yeah. i really am exactly it's not and that's not the only episode that does that <laughs> and another thing uh that um you can see especially in science fiction is uh the the concept of people from the future who already know what is going to happen right uh, uh people from the future coming to the present day you mean yeah Okay, like in Terminator. Yeah, like in Terminator, for example. Yeah, and Terminator, um, especially the first one, the first movie, which is my favorite of the series, um, has that very ominous, dark mm -hmm. feeling of 
impending apocalypse, impending doom. Right. The, the Terminator comes from the future to try to stop um, the good guy, John Connor, from being born. Right. Uh, by killing his mother. And, um, and, and the, the good guy comes from the future to protect the mother. And, of course, he becomes the father of uh, John Connor, who is kind of the chosen one. <laughs> right. I remember uh, the whole series as one big epic movie. Yeah. The, the, and in the second one, it's really that the young John Connor and, um, and his mother sort of, um, along with the help of a good Terminator, uh, try to avoid the apocalypse by sort of stopping the guy who invents Skynet from... Right. Yeah. And, and uh, this actually brings us to a next element that comes along with uh, destiny, uh, which is knowing your destiny and trying to avoid it or stop it or change it. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, which is often what, what, what leads to, to you know, like, in, like with Star Wars, um, because it tries to stop it, that therefore it happens. Yeah, which um, brings us back to the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, but then in, in Terminator 2, um, they try to stop it, and they do stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, that never really sat well with me, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it sort of, it doesn't make sense to me that there wouldn't be a Terminator to come from the future if, if they avoid the whole, that whole future. Yeah, it's, it's very complex. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, it, Doctor Who is full of this stuff. It's full, and um, I think that's a problem you get with time travel: is yeah. that you, you run into problems. You just do. I once, uh, for a writing class, I I was writing a story about a diary from the future, and it was so difficult writing it without trapping myself that it kind of yeah. It almost made me insane. It almost gave me a nervous breakdown. So I'm just never going to try that again. Personally, uh, if, if, if I may go on a tiny little tangent here, since we were talking about time travel, mm-hmm. I personally believe that time travel is impossible. Simply, you know, in principle, it's impossible. Because even the tiniest journey of one person into the future or into the past would entail completely changing the entire universe right um sort of turning the entire universe inside out and um just you know just if that were possible you know if if more than one person could travel through time it would it would kind of destroy the universe i think right this is very geeky yeah it (laughs) it, it is in a way but i i do really love stories that uh, handle time travel well and that introduce uh, kind of these issues, these these moral implications and and complexities uh, that that go along with it. Mm. For, for example, I thought uh, about time was a really surprising story. Actually, I thought it would be yeah. this dull, run of the mill romantic comedy, but actually, it was a very, a very interesting story, a very interesting movie. Yeah, so for people who haven't seen that movie or who don't know it, it's marketed as a romantic comedy, but it's not really. It is a movie by... It's a British movie by the by a guy who's made a lot of romantic comedies. And it's about a young man who discovers that he can 
travel through time, but only within his own life. He can go back to moments um, that he's he's lived and he can relive them and do them differently. That's it. That's that's his power. And the, what I what I thought was lovely about that movie is that it's the sort of thing that we all sometimes wish we could do, right? Mm-hmm. If only I could go back in time yeah. and change that and that and that, then now I would be happy because I would have done <laughs> that and that differently and I wouldn't have made that mistake and so therefore I would be happy. And the movie sort of shows you that that's not true. Yeah, and the character grows a lot because yeah. he, he starts off uh, using his power for these trivial things like impressing girls. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he actually realizes um, that sometimes not using that power is more powerful than, than using it. And yeah, it's and, a very and interesting story. And therefore, in the, in the end, there's a nice little message in it that, that, that tells you just be grateful with every day. Uh, instead of you know regretting the past and and wanting wanting to change it and that's sort of um that's really the message there and therefore the theme of yeah the theme of of time travel which in itself is 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 an impossibility uh, becomes relevant mm-hmm. yeah and and um another movie that uh really revolves around the concept of uh, knowing your destiny and trying to avoid it is uh, Final Destination. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's kind of about the inevitability of your destiny, a, a bit uh, fatalistic as well. And it has a horror element to it. Yeah, um, it's, I'd say it's a horror movie, I would say. Yeah, but it, it, I also thought it was a bit funny too. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of movies are. <laughs> Uh, a lot of horror movies are. But what I thought interesting about the idea of uh, Final Destination was uh, it's kind of... The story kind of comes from the idea that death picks its victims and you cannot you cannot change that. It even has a certain order in which you die. And if you somehow manage to not die, then you'll die in that same order anyway. There's yeah, no escaping just it. in a and different it's way. A very scary thought, and I thought it was a, a really interesting idea to start a, a horror movie with. Uh, even though I thought the sequels were getting worse and worse, but that's often the case with these things. Sure. Yeah, the best that horror has to offer, I think, sort of speaks to a kind of deep-seated primal fear that we all have, um, sort of universal fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the fear of death is that and you would say well isn't every horror movie about the fear of death well obviously in a way it is but um, in this one it is really particularly about the fear of death yeah. does that make sense um, yeah it, it almost personifies death and yeah without and uh, even though you never see a, a, anything like a, a guy with a with a black hood or anything <laughs> no. Well, that brings me to another movie, the um, 2002 remake of The Time Machine, which, uh, and this may may be blasphemous to some people, but I think it was better than the original movie from the 1950s. The music is lovely, really lovely. Well, um, it it's, a, like it's, it's also a beautiful movie, um, and it's, I think it does actually does more interesting things with the... the the themes of time travel 
than the original did. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I see it. And that movie with Guy Pearce, in that movie, he actually, he invents the time machine, not just out of some kind of scientific curiosity, but because he was in love and his fiancée died and he wants to go back in time and keep her from dying. And what happens is he creates a time machine, he travels back in time, he tries to save her, and she dies in another way. And no matter what he does, time and time again, every time again, she always dies. Yeah, in another way. Yeah. And then, and then you know, he winds up in the far, far future, and ultimately his question of why does she always die gets resolved in a very unexpected way. If you, if you have to pay close attention to the movie, but there's actually a, a response to that in the movie, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to spoil it. But it's actually a much more interesting and intelligent story than, than people might think, I think. Yeah, this is one of the many movies that deal with the, the moral implications of knowing uh, the future. Um, And, and, and a very big issue, for example, is um, villains who start off as good guys. Uh, there's this, um, this famous um, question, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, what would you do? It would still be killing a baby. Yeah, that would, that <laughs> would be horrible. You, you just couldn't do that. But that's kind of the, the issue in, in Merlin as well, since Merlin actually knows about... Um, the destiny of Mordred, and him becoming the evil that will kill Arthur. Uh, he knows that, and he has several... There are several moments in the, in the series where he actually has the chance to kill him, and it's still morally wrong, so he cannot do it, because at that point, he's really a good guy. He's a decent guy. Yeah, Mordred, uh, you mean. Yeah, yeah Mordred. And there, there's no justice then, you know? Um, and the same goes for Morgana. Uh, he he knows she will become evil, and and uh, and actually he has several moments when when he could kill her, but he cannot. He just cannot do it. And the dragon is more like the the practical guy who's like, you know, she's going to be evil. Just kill her already. But mm -hmm. but Merlin is really like this decent guy who, who always wants to do the right thing. No matter what. It, it sort of raises the same sort of question, questions as um, the movie Minority Report by Steven Spielberg with Tom Cruise. You remember that movie? Yeah. That movie was uh, actually in a way about the same thing. Uh, what if, it's sort of a what if question. What if you already knew in advance who is going to commit murder, who is going to commit a crime? Um, shouldn't you arrest them already before they commit the crime? Yeah. And that's what they do in the movie. But it does raise the, raise the question, is there, can you really speak of justice? Is there justice when you, when you imprison someone who hasn't actually committed a crime yet? Mm -hmm. Even though you know that they would have. Um, that's, that's, uh, I think the movie answers that question and says, ultimately, no. Um, it is not justice to do that. And I think that's right. Yeah, again, um, you, you have this self-fulfilling prophecy occurring um, often, like in, in Smallville when 
uh, Lex Luthor is actually a decent guy and he wants friendship with Clark. But Clark kind of keeps his distance. He doesn't trust him and he doesn't let him in on his secrets. And you start wondering as the audience, what if he would have trusted him as a friend and he would have let him in on, on, on his secret? Maybe yeah. Lex Luthor wouldn't have become the main villain who, who tried to kill him all the time. Things might have been <laughs> different, yeah. I thought that was very tragic because... Um, you do really like Lex uh, in those first few seasons. He's he's definitely you know you you don't want him to go bad, but you yeah. know he will. Um, he's a rich, spoiled brat, but otherwise he's he's a really decent guy. So we've discussed prophecies. We've discussed destiny. In terms of storytelling, what that often means is you know what's going to happen in a way, and a lot of people might start to think well shouldn't it isn't it better storytelling if you don't know what's going to happen there's this um sort of idea that people have that if you already know the ending then it's not worth reading the book mm -hmm. you know it's all about the ending and i think that's not true at all um it is not. it is rarely true that it is true in the case of some uh, very ordinary uh, sort of run-of-the-mill detective story maybe if you know right. who the murderer is then okay i don't need to i don't need to see it anymore but if that but, were true for uh, every kind of story then what about myths and historical stories yeah of course the whole point of that i think is the very sense of inevitability right and sometimes knowing the end can be much more powerful than not knowing the end take for example king kong when Peter Jackson remade King Kong in 2005, you know, um, everybody knew uh, what was going to happen at the end. Because everybody knows the end of King Kong. Everybody knows right. that ape is going to get on the Empire State Building and get shot down by planes. I'm not spoiling the movie by telling you that. Um, because that last act of the movie, I think, is really powerful because you know that this very sad, tragic event is coming. And you sort of see the whole build-up and you see it happening bit by bit. And you sort of, you feel sad for him. Right. Also because the movie takes three hours. <laughs> yes, it's, I know, it's very long. But I love it. I love uh, Peter Jackson's King the, Kong. The same thing goes for uh, Superman. Everyone knows the story of Superman, I, I think. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost a legend in itself. And um, it's it's like the the legend of America, right? And um, in a way, yeah, I I guess I know what you mean, yeah. And I, I there are these iconic things in the life of Superman that we we know about, and we know that uh, they are inevitably going to happen. And what I thought sad, for example, in in Smallville was, uh, you know, his father is going to die, and then when that moment comes, it's really tragic and it's emotional. And you think it's it's terrible, and then turns out he lives, <laughs> and then yeah, they kind of we all yeah we already mentioned that yeah. in a previous episode yeah. yeah and then and then they try to do it again and it doesn't work anymore so that's the downside of telling a story that everyone knows that you should really respect the iconic moments that people already know about that's true and you shouldn't mess with that i think um 
a good example of that would be the Planet of the Apes. Um, yeah. There's the, the original movie with Charlton Heston. And, you know, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> at the end of the movie, you find out that this this strange Planet of the Apes is actually our planet, but then in a distant future. <gasps> oh my god. Yes. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was Earth. All along. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, people who watched <laughs> The Simpsons, they kind of spoil every movie <laughs> on every, the planet. <laughs> every movie ever. Yeah. Oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally So anyway, that shock ending is not new anymore, um, you know, 20, 30 years later. Um, but when Tim Burton remade or sort of rebooted Planet of the Apes or made his own version of it, um, he, he made the decision or the screenwriter made the decision that, okay, um, we can't do that. We can't use that ending with the Statue of Liberty because, well, everybody already knows that. So let's just come up with a completely different shock ending. Because, you know, what, what's so great about Planet of the Apes is the shock ending. So let's have a shock ending, but have it make it a different one. And it, it completely fell flat uh, for me. It sort of kind of ruined the movie even. Yeah, me too. I didn't like the ending. Because I didn't get it to begin with. Um, what happens in, in Tim Burton's version is that uh, the protagonist, he leaves the Planet of the Apes. In, spoiler Yeah, spoiler alert. He, he comes back to Earth and then he finds out that on Earth um, the, the apes have taken over. And somehow um, President Lincoln has been replaced by, by an ape. Ape Lincoln. By an ape version of... <laughs> President Lincoln. A yeah, so Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, it, um, the sideburns kind of looked cool on, on the sa <laughs> statue. But anyway, um, point is that I think that uh, he should have just stuck with the original ending, right? Because it would have been very powerful if you know that that's going to come, and you sort of and and it's inevitably coming to you, and then there's this this moment, you know. Exactly. From that logic, we wouldn't have needed the Star Wars prequels. And uh, in my opinion, we really do need them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people would say that they, they were unnecessary. Um, I don't think so at all. Um, no, I think Revenge of the Sith is very powerful just because, you know, Anakin is going to turn into Darth Vader. And it's, it's a very powerful and exciting yeah. story element. That Precisely because of that. Exactly. Because you... You see, you see the inevitable step by step. It's it's painful to to watch, uh, but in a in a in a way that is at the same time entertaining and cathartic. I would say. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's it really reminds you of legends and myths and uh, and historical um, 
event because you know what's going to happen and of course yeah and that kind of creates this excitement this this tension anyway for example uh, when i watched the passion of the christ i thought the the scene with um, pontius pilate was really powerful because you actually see that he doesn't want to crucify jesus but you know it's going to happen anyway yeah that's true it's not like he's this hand-wringing mustache curling evil evil guy who's who's sort of just waiting to to crucify an innocent man he's just afraid that the people are going to turn against him if he doesn't do it mm-hmm. and, yeah, and that, that sort of really, that adds to the tragedy yeah, really if, can you imagine somebody saying oh the passion of the christ i don't need to see that movie because i already know jesus is going to die <laughs> <laughs> you know you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say, oh, that, oh, I don't need to see Titanic because I already know the boat is going to sink. Like, <laughs> everyone, know? everyone knows the Arthur legends. You know Arthur is going to die. And that's, that's tragic. But it's inevitable. That's what makes the story so powerful. I agree, well. yeah. On a side note, I'm uh, drinking Twining's green tea with uh, ginger and fresh lemon juice and uh, honey. Because I'm coming down with a cold and it's really effective. Yeah, and I'm, I've am i just had uh, Moroccan mint with honey. Just on a side note, if you feel like you're uh, coming down with a cold, it's a really good, it's really good advice. I think we should make this a thing in our podcast. <laughs> sort of discuss what, what tea we're drinking, okay. you know? It's, it's kind of snobbish. So, yeah. so currently drinking, <laughs> you know? Um, Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's go. Let's get to the, the conclusion of our of our um, of our story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Conclude, Eileen. Well, I think we can conclude that uh, prophecy, uh, destiny, uh, is still. Uh, these are still great elements in storytelling. They still work. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many remakes. Yeah, you know. Exactly. Because why would you want to see the same? story again just by another director yeah now um to sort of um on a side note uh, or to expand on that um i know there are lots of versions of well-known stories and hollywood does uh, many 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 uh, adaptations um you know you might think well maybe they're just afraid to try out new stories and i would say to that that that's probably true hollywood always wants to play it safe partly because there's a lot of money involved. But um, I would say that just because we feel, we both feel that it's good to have these sort of um, well-known, established stories and to to sort of revisit them, um, I don't think that's an excuse for what Hollywood uh, has been doing recently, which is churning out remake after remake after remake without actually adding anything that really makes it worthwhile to mm. to remake them yeah like the the unnecessary sequel they kind of created the whole unnecessary remake phenomenon yeah and where... they took that very very far um i think for example the all of these live action remakes of disney animated classics I'm just afraid they're just about to start okay beauty and the beast the remake was just a horrible horrible movie but um, that's a side note. 
but I think um, the thing about remakes is a remake only makes sense if there's something that wasn't quite satisfying about the original and you you want to sort of fix that, maybe. Yeah, or maybe if you want another take on the story uh, from another perspective, for example, what, what they did with uh, Maleficent. That's, yeah. inter- that's more interesting than just um, if they had just made a live-action version of Sleeping Beauty. Right? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I think an- another thing we can conclude is that uh, knowing the future in a story uh, can raise interesting moral questions. Yeah, and we, dis- we discussed some of those. The, um, it can also raise sort of um, philosophical questions of, you know, yeah. uh, is there such a thing as destiny? Can we change... Um, the course of future of Should the future, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and there are various answers that storytellers could give to this. Or if you 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 don't you don't want to give an answer, that's also a possibility. Of course, you can leave it open. Yeah, that's also interesting. Uh, and also, uh, trying to break a prophecy or avoid destiny can be the motivation of the main character that drives the entire story. It can be the the goal uh, of the protagonist to crack the system. Uh. Oh, okay, I, I see what you mean. Like when you have this, right? Okay, that's very interesting. When you have this recurring thing, when um, yeah. there's a, a like a prophecy or like a, an element of destiny, when there's this thing that always happens and you expect it to happen again. Yeah. But you want to, to, to change it this time. This time will be different. Yeah, and in a lot of fantasy stories, uh, they start off with, uh, this is the way it has always been, but now it has to change because suddenly the stakes are much higher. Uh, I think The Hunger Games is a very interesting um, example of, of, uh, the, of a story in which the protagonists are trying to crack the system because uh, there, there have always been these Hunger Games. And there's always been one winner. And there's more than one character you like in the story. Yes, and, and, and especially there's it. a romance element. Well, Exactly. Well, it's not really a romance, but it's sort of a perceived romance element between two characters. Um, and yeah, you know, you do you want them to kill each other? Well, no, of course not. Of course and, not. And, and the, the audience, the people in, in, in that world also don't want to see that they they want to see a happy ending they want to see they want to see the the two romantic leads get together and um, that creates a, a very interesting tension in that first hunger games um i was installment i was team gale though <laughs> really i i never was but then i i i think i um identify with peter much more he's sort more of a creative <laughs> Uh, type um, sort of sensitive type anyway yeah, but I, do, <laughs> I do love what um, what Susan Collins did with the story I absolutely uh, love the way she she finished the trilogy because she so, did so have the guts to take it into some very very tough territory that yeah. most most writers for for fiction for for younger people wouldn't dare to do yeah, um, I, I and I, and I, I have to respect that. I, I, I'm not a fan of um, first-person 
writing and I'm not a fan of present tense writing. So I'm not as big a fan of the of the books in that regard. But I also made think me appreciate it actually. Yeah, no, I, I, I just I don't like it, but I do like the the just the, the the idea and the plot itself. So anyway, I think we can conclude uh, to our conclusion, a final conclusion, final destination of this Epic episode. Conclusion of conclusions. <laughs> yeah, um, is that if you want to write a story, don't let anyone convince you that you shouldn't use a prophecy. Prophecies are awesome. Exactly. Just use it wisely. Use it wisely. Um, <laughs> it, I have the impression that a lot of our episodes tend to end on that note. Don't avoid the cliché. Um, there's nothing wrong with the way things have always been. Don't try to be too original. Um yeah, maybe Don't th insert three prophecies like some authors <laughs> do. <laughs> uh, maybe we do have that tendency, but it's it's kind of you have to um, you have to bear in mind that we we went to college and we were exposed to all of these weird alternative theories on storytelling. Um, in and literature and these very bizarre, strange forms of literature and and being exposed to that, you learn that this super experimental stuff just doesn't work. There's a reason why we have these age-old systems in place. It's interesting, but it doesn't move you. Uh, it's it's more like it, you get a rational rush out of it, but not an emotional rush, and that's. That's sad. I, I've, I, I had to read a lot of these uh, modern novels uh, for my master um, literature of modernity, and there were things that I really that haunted me in my dreams, yeah. like these really weird, nightmarish, strange things that you couldn't barely call a, a story anymore. Mm. If your main goal is trying to be original you end up neither being original nor entertaining. And if if your only goal is to bring something that's good, um, there's a good... Ch and, and you focus on that and you just try to do something that's well executed, chances are you end up with something that's original too, in its own way. Anyway, you cannot satisfy everyone because there are all these different tastes. So I think... Uh, Anyone listening to this who is uh, aspiring to write a novel or who is currently writing a novel, I think you should just write what you love, what really moves you, what you would like to read. And, and possibly when, when there are people like you, then you will definitely have an audience of people who, who love what you're writing. Worst case scenario, um, you're the only one. Okay. You're the only one <laughs> reading it's it. It's a, you're probably you're probably <laughs> never the only one who likes a certain kind you of. You can thing. always force your wife to read it. <laughs> yeah, and your children, <laughs> and your mom, and you know what it is with moms. They will always say, "Oh, it's great! You're Lovely, so talented." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> This is um, the end. Our tea is finished, so we uh, should definitely yeah. finish this podcast. Yeah, and besides, it was prophesied by the ancient prophecy of Propheticus that we would end this podcast now. So With uh, the memorable words, 
See you next week. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to this week's episode of our storytelling podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. In the meantime, of course, do uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel or to our podcast. Share this episode. Give us a positive review on iTunes. And do look for our novels, the Witch Hunter novels by myself, Domine de Groot. That's D-O-M-I-E-N. Just type in my name and then Witch Hunter and you'll find it on Amazon. Or listen on the YouTube channel or go to our Bandcamp page. Visit our website, audioepics.com. There are so many things you can do to support us and keep enjoying the stuff we make. We'll see you next week. Bye.